Parshas Vayishlach. This is uh, probably, uh, things are starting to really intensify in the story. The, thought, the plot thickens, as they say. From here on in for the rest of the, uh, the book of Genesis, it's really, uh, I don't want to debase the Torah by calling it a soap opera, but it's very, very intense and, and is a, would be an amazing movie. It's really a, a very exciting read. One of my teachers used to say, if someone's looking for a good read, just read uh, different parts of the Bible, just the English, read it straight. And it's, it's, it's really a fascinating story. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. So got a few things tonight. A lot is really, uh, I would love to spend a few hours on tonight's Parsha. It's one of my, I want to say I have a favorite Parsha, but there's a lot, there's a lot here. So number one, just a general reminding ourselves the whole the what's the purpose of the book of genesis in fact many of the commentators asked what is the purpose of the book of genesis there's very few laws actually one of the only laws is actually in this week's torah portion but in general the the the, the book of the torah from hashem was directions for life so what's the what is the directions and all the commentaries say that we are supposed to learn the nitty gritties of life from studying the precise uh, details that the Torah painstakingly tells us, uh, and every single thing is a lesson, and there's a lot of those in the in this week's parsha. So, in chapter 32, verse 33, this actually is the mitzvah, one of the only com- actual commandments in uh, Genesis. What does it say? Verse 33 says, "When we're talking about the story, just remind us of the story." Um, the story is that uh, Yaakov had just left his father-in-law's house, was there for many years, had a big family. He hears that his brother is, uh, his, uh, he, I wouldn't say his enemy, but his brother had been wanting to kill him, still wants to kill him, and he hears that after all these years, his brother is actually on his way to find him with a small army of 400 men. They're getting close to the encounter, and Yaakov uh, takes his wife, his wife, his children, all his belongings, and he, he he crosses them over a river. And then the Torah says he forgot a few small items back on the other side of the river. Everything here has many layers, by the way. By the way, there's simple levers, esoteric levels, all kinds of mystical understandings here. But simply put, he went to the back to the other side of the river, and while he was there, he got in a fight with the with a man. And uh, we know it was the it was actually the angel of Asaph. And what happened was they were struggling the whole night. They were fighting. Instead, they fought all the way to the morning. And basically, Yaakov won. And when the the angel of Asaph saw that he was not go- not going to win, he goes and he hits Yaakov in his thigh. And Yaakov actually becomes somewhat crippled from it. And therefore, we have our verse. Therefore. The children of Israel are not to eat the displaced sinew on the hip socket to this day because he because he struck Yaakov's hip socket on the displaced sinew. So we have the mitzvah of the Gid Hanasha. When if you go to a Jewish trabering house, a slaughterhouse, you'll see that today, because there's this part of the back of the animal that we can't eat. It's actually easier, I think, more cost-effective. They just cut off the whole back of the meat. They sell it to non-kosher uh, slaughterhouses. So the commentators ask, and the, specifically the Dasa Kanan, one of the medieval commentaries, 
he asked, like, why? <laughs> you know, why forever and ever and ever do can people not eat a certain part of the animal because Jacob got hit on the thigh in that spot? What is that? What's there's lots of things that could happen, you know. Maybe Yaakov had a cold one day. So what's what's important about this? And the Dazakanim explains, he says, the reason why this happened, a part of the reason why this whole struggle happened the way it did was because Yaakov was left alone. If Yaakov wouldn't have been alone, he had a many, he had a big entourage. They weren't all little kids. There were some very able-bodied adults there. And he and he was left by himself. And the angel, I don't know how the realm of the angels works, but my understanding is, based on the commentaries, that the angel would not have had the ability to accost Yaakov in the way that he did. And because he was left alone, this happened. And the Dazakinim says forever and ever, and this goes in sync with what I said before, that we learn how important it is to not leave people alone. In fact, there's actually... And another Jewish law, which is not learned from here, but it's it's alluded to from here, as a mitzvah, when someone leaves your house, someone leaves your company to escort them. And not only to escort them, to show them the way, and to warn them of any pitfalls. Today, that uh, that part is kind of a fall a little bit to the wayside because of ways, and people often know even better than you what to, what to expect. But that, but the, that concept is there of not leaving people alone. But it's a much bigger concept, like everything in the Torah. There's the, there's the skeleton, and then there's what we learn from there. The general, you see how dangerous. This was a massive, massive fight. You know, it applies to, to leaving people alone in any form. You know, um, emotionally, physically, we all know how bad and how it doesn't feel good, especially with COVID, we've had to deal with this, to, to, be, to feel alone. We all know how good it is when we uh, someone makes us not feel alone. Now, it can't always happen in person, but uh, we learn from here the uh, importance of making people feel uh, like they have some companionship uh, with friends and family. And uh, you see how the, the Torah took the time. We have a commandment forever and ever. Every single animal that would ever be slaughtered has this to remind us not to... Uh, leave people hanging, not to leave people alone. Another point is for ourselves, you know, there's a tendency, certainly in today's day and age with the social media and all the incredible capabilities that we have to really function and to a certain extent being alone, it's a reminder that we, we do need other people and to connect to them in any way that we can. Moving along, chapter 33, verse 18. So, basically, uh, Yaakov has this encounter with his brother. It's relatively uh, um, smooth, uh, intense, but smooth, and they basically agree to part ways for the moment. Um, and Yaakov moves on to the next city. Jacob arrives intact at the city of Shechem, which is the land of, in the land of Canaan, Upon arriving from Padnaram, and he encamped before the city. Lots of details. Why do we care? Commentaries say, the Talmud, actually, the Talmud and the Midrash say, that this plus, this verse is telling us that since Yaakov visited this, these places, he actually, he 
set up numerous uh, public services, uh, things that would benefit the people who live there. And the Gemara says, we learn from there that when a person visits somewhere, in some way, they should try to help either the host, the city, the community, the institution. That's an appropriate thing to do. Everyone has different, uh, you know, everyone could do it on the grandest scale, but whatever you can do to, uh, to, show, to show appreciation, that is the right thing to do. That's one of those things that we learned from here. And uh, all the more so, a place that we actually have spent a lot of time or benefited a lot from, you know, uh, you know, I'm not in the judging uh, trade. No one should be, but you know, I, I am in a position of, over the years. I fundraised for numerous institutions, and uh, it can be challenging sometimes when someone seems to not really have any, uh, even if they can't give money, to at least to at least feel some sort of gratitude. Uh, that's and unfortunately it's out there and therefore we have to remind ourselves uh, to, to, to learn from the Torah that uh, anywhere that we benefit from even in a small way and you see this with very great people here you, you see it here you see it in stories even current stories great people are are very great at this of uh, if someone ever did them a favor they're just eternally uh, grateful moving along chapter 32 Verse 30, going back here. So back to the beginning of the Parsha. So we have the famous story of uh, of Jacob's ladder. No, we do have the story of Jacob. No, that was last week's. So I'm sorry. Um, turn the wrong page. Verse 30. So in this struggle that Yaakov had with the angel of Asa, whatever that means, so Yaakov, um, it's, it's a very intense exchange at the end. It's almost morning. The angel's got to go because the angel has to go. He has a certain song he sings for God. He tells Yaakov, and Yaakov wouldn't let go. And he says, Yaakov, I got to go. And Yaakov said, I'm not letting you go. And then Yaakov said, I want to know your name. And the angel says, well... Why do you want to know? And then Yaakov says, well, I need a blessing. And then what, what does he do when he gives him the blessing? He gives him an interesting blessing. He gives him a new name. He says, um, we'll get to that in a minute. But the question which many of the commentaries ask here, and specifically I saw this from he passed away recently, Reb Chaim Dov Keller of, of Blessed Memory from Chicago. He, he focuses on the fact, what was this exchange? I want to know your name. And then he says, doesn't answer him. He says, why do you want to know? And that's kind of where it goes. So he explains an amazing idea. He says, this was a fight for the ages. This was a fight, a spiritual fight that would, that would literally set the tone for history. It was an eternal fight. It's kind of like you ever seen it in like a movie where you have like maybe like Star Wars, some other things where you have like, you know, two people fighting and it's like the whole world is going to fall apart depending who wins. And it's very intense. And that's, you know, much, much more than that. This was cosmic. And even though Yaakov, Yaakov did win the fight, but he knew that this fight was going to be a continuous. He won the battle. But he knew there'd be many, many more fights. 
And he wanted, before he left, let this angel leave, he wanted to help his children for history. And he wanted to know, because a name represents the essence of someone. It defines them. Your name defines, it defines an object. What is something called? What's a person called? What's an angel called? He wanted to understand the essence so he'll be able to share that with his children forever and ever to be able to to uh, to be successful in their fights with the um, with our adversaries, and that's what the angel of Esau um, represents. And he said to him, "I want to know your essence. Who are you? So we can, you know, they say knowing is half the battle. You know what it is, and then you can fight it. And that's." what the angel was saying back, says Rabbi Keller. He says, you know what? You can't, you can't label me. My job is my holy function. My God-given function is to challenge the Jewish people, to push the Jewish people. And that, that's good for us. That's good for us. We need to be challenged. And he said, and then by, by, by definition... I can't have a name because in every single generation and every single person and every community and every juncture and each generation, it's something else. In fact, the Talmud in uh, Tractate Chulin says that what did this angel of Esau look like? And according to one opinion, it says it looked like a Talmud Chacham or Rabbi. Another opinion says it looked like an idol worshiper. So what was it? Explains it by Keller. It's whatever will challenge the Jewish people. Now that's what we have to. That's why we have to be wary. This is not. This is not about being cynical. Not about being pessimistic. It's about living in reality. We say it every night in the evening prayer. We say, "May God remove Satan from before us." And from behind us, and the commentaries say, what is from behind us, from before us and behind us mean that sometimes, you know, we're so you know, we're all good people. You're a good person, and the and the uh, your evil inclination comes and tries to get you to do something overtly evil. We're not going to do it. But what happens is it becomes like insidious and kind of like find ways that you actually think it's good. And Jews are great at that. We're great at at getting involved and look look at look at history. We've gotten involved in many, many things, which perhaps some, some of the people involved were well-intentioned at first and ended up being a horrible thing. Um, and that, that is what this exchange was about. We can't, we can't try to say, oh, just do that and everything's going to be fine. Because you know, we're here, as long as we're alive, it's a constant productive struggle. As long as this world is in a state that it's in, that is the nature of the, of the beast. That's just why we're here. And there's nothing to shy away from, nothing you can run away from. You embrace it, you, you keep your eyes and ears and everything open to see what's the challenge here? What's the challenge? Chapter 36, verse 43, towards the end of the portion of the Torah portion. The Torah spends a tremendous amount of time, tremendous amount of time. Scores of verses listing to us the descendants of Asaph, Edom. Not part of the Jewish, he's not his descendants are not Jewish. 
The, his Esav is typically synonymous with Rome, that culture, Western culture. Why do we care? Why are we spending, what is it, 40, 43 verses? That's more verses than it talks about uh, Shabbos in the Torah. It's, it's incredible. Well, why, why, are we, why do we have this? And not only that, besides telling us all the different kingdoms and leaders and all these seemingly irrelevant information, it ends off with the following statement. Very intriguing statement. It says, it has all the chiefs. These are the chiefs of Edom, that's Esau, by their settlements in the land of their possession. He is Esau, father of Edom. Very cryptic. What's with the settlements? What's with the possession? And what's with that final, that, that, the finality of that statement? He is Asa, father of Edom. So, Rabbi Hutner, one of the great uh, leaders of the yeshivas in New York of the past generation, really one of the big uh, trailblazers of Torah in America, from, uh, he was the head of Yeshiva Chaim Berlin in Flatbush. He was famous. He was actually stuck on the uh, one of the uh, people on the Entebbe uh, when they when the when there was a Israeli plane hijacked, and thank God he was saved, along with many other people. So Rabbi Hunter explains a fascinating phenomenon in Jewish history. The Jews have been persecuted by everyone. Uh, I would say our largest group over history, obviously I've been one-time things here and there, but unfortunately, um, the church, until uh, very, very recent history, the church has always been a very feared institution by the Jews. It's black and white, it's history, it's not a, it's not a debate, it's just looking at history. Unfortunately, there have been many, there have been much persecution by the hand of Arabs. But Rabbi Hunter points out a, a very distinct difference in the nature of the persecution meted out to us by the church versus that of the children of Ishmael, the Arabs. He points out Christians have, it's never been about land. Never been about land, ever. We've been kicked out of places. It's been, they've tried to convert us. And even when they went into Israel, it wasn't about conquering the land to take it away from the Jewish people. And with the Arabs, we know until today, that is a big part of the genre. What's up with that? So Rabbi Hunter points out a fascinating insight, which has very practical ramifications for us. He says that the reason why is because even though Esau, Yaakov's brother, did not get the blessings, he did not get the, all the chosen people blessings, he did get a lot of blessings. And included in those blessings is he got a land. He got Rome. That's him. He got Rome. And that's his place. He has his place. And that's why what the Torah is telling us at the end of this whole uh, enumeration of all the leaders, it tells us by their settlements in the land of their possession. They had a land, 
And that's who he is. He has his place. Yishmael, Ishmael, the 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 uh, the father of the Arabs, Yitzchak's brother. That he never got a he he did get presents. His father did not you know abandon him, but he never got a blessing included an actual place that was his. And and this has subconsciously or in the spiritual I'm sure it's very conscious. This has been a explains history and this is just first of all it's mind-boggling how you look through the torah and everyone is you know thousands and millions of hours and money are poured into trying to understand history and all you got to do is learn through these torah portions and you understand very simple a lot of phenomena in history are we've, we've known them for years and that's so that's point number one just the the everything in the torah is you can't even imagine it's it's deep. It's there for a reason. It's fascinating. But point number two, and I don't, um, that Rabbi Hutner wanted to point out is that the importance of people, the lesson from this is giving a person their space, their physical space, their emotional place, their financial place. In every aspect, people, we know that. You feel unsettled when you don't have your spot. You don't know your role. You don't have your physical space, your your job space. That, and if you, that's the sort of gift you can give to someone. Give them that respect and respect their space. And also know for yourself, if you're having a hard time, it's like make sure you, you got to have your space and it's something you have to work for and to respect others and give to others. And uh, it's a tremendous, we see over history how, uh, what the ramifications of that not happening are. Moving along, moving backwards, actually. So at the beginning of the Parsha, Yaakov uh, is preparing to meet his uh, arch rival, his brother. And he sends all kinds of messengers to try to appease with presents. And a term that's used is imlovan garti. His message to his brother was, I have lived with my father-in-law, the evil swindler, Laman, Laban. Rashi points out that the word there, if you move it around in the in numerical values, the only way you, when you, you can only do in the Hebrew language, he actually was sending a, a benign but important message to his brother. He said, look, you may think I may have been hanging out with this no good nick, and therefore God's not on my side. Well, you know what? I've been living with him, and I have continued to do two things. I have kept the 613 commandments, and I have not learned from my father-in-law's evil ways. Rabbi Ruderman, the, as my father is actually uh, the Rosh Hashiva, the head of his... Uh, Hamidah School in Baltimore, the head of Nair Israel, the founder of Nair, of Nair Israel. So has had a tremendous impact on my life personally. Um, he pointed out that what's he adding? If you say he kept the whole Torah, doesn't that, if you go through many mitzvahs in the Torah, you can't be keeping those mitzvahs if you're following and being impacted by your evil father-in-law. It's impossible. So of course, just say you kept the whole Torah. Why do you have to add 
that I was um, not impacted um, by my uh, by my father-in-law. And I Ruderman says this is a famous idea, but maybe this is the first place that it's uh, it's brought out in this way. That you know you could be a checklist Jew. You can do all the mitzvahs, keep Shabbat, keep kosher, go to Shul, go to Yom Kippur, have a Seder. But you can miss the idea. You can miss the boat. You can miss the spirit of the law. The, the purpose of all the direction that we get from all the customs and services and ideas in the Torah is to create a personality, to create a lifestyle, a, a, a life vision, the way you look at the world, the way you or, orient to anything. And unfortunately, if a person doesn't allow the and be, be open to the expansiveness that a Torah lifestyle can permeate, then you really can really miss the boat. You know, because someone could have, have parties every night, have kosher wine and, and, and tons of gluttonous meat and, and have all kinds of, uh, you know, just be partying all the time. And you can say, look, you know, I do everything. It's not the lifestyle. You go through it. Now, trust me, you know me. I like to have a good time. I do have a good time. But that's the idea. And we have to, if the, and the lesson for ourselves is, is we should give ourselves a pat on the back for doing the things we do. But remember that we don't uh, focus too much on the trees and lose the, uh, lose the forest, as they say. Okay, if, just a few more ideas uh, on the Parsha. Again, there's so much. Chapter 35, verse 19. Rachel dies. Rachel, the wife that... Yaakov loved tremendously. She's the epitome. The, the love of Yaakov and Rachel is the epitome of any love relationship in the, in the entire Bible. She dies at 36. And it's on the side of the road, right, by the city of Bethlehem. Yes, we had that city first and only. And Yaakov buries her there. I've been there a, a number of times. It's a pretty dangerous place to go now, but it's heavily, heavily armored. And so usually it's fine, but it is in a very, very, very bad neighborhood. You can't even see the tomb. It's such a huge um, security uh, wall around it. But uh, I've gone there uh, a number of times recently. Very, very, you know, it hits, it hits everyone who goes there. It just hits you emotionally. You really feel the, ho the holiness of that place. And instead of, Yaakov taking her to a more appropriate place to be buried, maybe Hebron, where he'd be buried. He buries her on the side of the road. And on the commentary say that prophetically he knew that when the Jews were going to be exiled from Israel in the Babylonian exile, being exiled from, from uh, Jerusalem down in chains to Babylon, they would be marched right by Rachel's tomb. And they would... Uh, Pray, not to her, but ask her to please talk to God and to and to, uh, to to help the Jewish people. And there's a famous famous song, famous famous uh, exchange that Rachel has with God, and and God assures her that that the Jewish people will be taken care of; they won't be destroyed. And uh, that that has been a, a strength for us. Now, in that exchange with God about what what. Uh, Rachel, that Rachel had with with God about this when the Jews were being exiled. 
she references the Jewish people, but it's in a interesting thing. It's it's done in the singular, ki enena. And the commentaries focus. What's with why is a French to the Jewish people? Why is it in singular? And the commentaries say that is to show us that this I this this story that Rachel was buried in a place which wasn't really necessarily the most honorable place. It wasn't it was on the side of the road. In fact, later on, there's more talk about it, you know, where Jacob feels the need to, quote-unquote, explain to Joseph why he didn't give his mother what would seem to be a proper respect. And the Torah is telling us that it would have been worth all that if there would have been one Jew who happened to wander there by the Babylon exile and want to get that comfort of, of passing by his great-great-great-great-grandmother's grave. And happened to be there were thousands of Jews who were. But it was singular because it would have been worth it for that. And that is obviously one of the major messages of the Torah in general. The whole world is worth it for anybody. And the, the greatest way to accomplish things in the world is if we, the more we remember and realize how incredible we are and how every single thing that we do matters, even if it doesn't seem to be grand and famous. But the little details in our life are so are, are so important because everything we do has cosmic ramifications. So back to the fight. Yeah, with Asaph. So Yaakov is fighting with the angel of Asaph. He want, and the angel wants to leave. Yaakov asks for a blessing, and he says, "I'm going to give you a name," and he gives him the name Yisrael. This is the begin, the first term Israel, Israel. This is where it shows. And what what's the etymology of the name? It says because he fought with God, meaning a spiritual idea, he fought with an angel, and man. He fought with spiritual entities, and he fought with physical entities. So Rabbi Haran Tzeratskin tells, points out an interesting way that the angel worded this. You know, things are always written in a progressive way. You know, you have smallest to highest. That's usually how things are written in general and specifically in the Torah. It says that he fought with spiritual entities, then physical entities. You would think that the bigger, harder fight would be spiritual, but it lists that first. Sir Rebbe explain it's not true. To master the way that we deal with other people, says the Torah, that is harder than keeping the mitzvahs. And look, because look, you have thousands of people, myself, other people, we, you know, we can always do better, but we, we do a fairly good job keeping kosher, keeping Shabbos, keeping the holidays, not wearing wool linen, all kinds of things. But yet we struggle like everybody else, with not gossiping and being kind and being patient and being um, all the good character traits, we struggle like everybody else. And that is the message, says Rabbi Sarutskin. The Torah hung us. That's the way it's supposed to be. And get in the fight. That it's, it's something which is just the nature of the beast. 
and shouldn't think it's, a, it's just us to say, ah, you can't do it. No, that's a fight which we're supposed to fight, and it's actually supposed to be hard. But says Rabbi Saratskin, I kind of like, I'm not sure if he was saying this or I'm adding it. I think maybe I'm adding a little bit to it. That the Torah, besides telling us that it's actually harder, but it's giving us the clue. It's giving us the clue. How can we possibly be better to other people, to be kinder, to be more patient and more generous? By coming in through the back door, you try to white knuckle it and try to just be better. You'll have some degree. You can take Dale Carnegie courses and all these great books. I'm a big fan. You can read books like this. I got tons of these books. They're great. But if you really want to like really be able to take them on, have a long lasting ability to overcome things when dealing with other people, you got to have spirituality involved in it. You got to bring God into the picture. You got to take the wisdom of the Torah. That is the way you're going to do it. And it's incredible because I'm far from where I need to be. There's no question uh, that that's how, uh, that's what gives me the, the energy and the wisdom. And in fact, look at the 12 steps that help, that help addicts. It's a spiritual program. It's something which is definitely recognized uh, by the rest of the world as well. Okay. Um, running out of time here. Let's tell you a short story on that. Um, so Jersey City in the 40s, there was a rabbi there. His name was Rabbi, um, rabbi Bloch, famous family. And the, he was the rabbi of the city in Jersey City, and he passed away. And the rabbi... His father was famous, Rabbi Ari Levin. So his son, Rabbi Chaim Levin, was offered the job to be the new rabbi in the city. And he delayed for a while. You would think you pretty much he needed the job. He was, everyone knew he wanted it, and he didn't answer right away. Finally, after a week or so, he says, yes. Years later, it came out. Why did he delay? The reason he delayed was he felt, here you had this widow, and she was clearly broken. Her wonderful husband passed away. And he knew it would be very difficult for her if she saw a new rabbi, someone who where her husband was, quote-unquote, supposed to be. And he wanted to make sure he had her blessing. And he wanted to wait till he could talk to her about it and, quote-unquote, to get her permission and make sure she was comfortable and give her the respect. And he basically made it that everything he did, that she should feel free to talk to him about it and to... In a certain sense, veto it, and 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 once that she really she got to the point where she felt like he was her son. This young rabbi took the job, and he took on himself every Friday morning. He would have a meeting with her about all the goings on in the city, and 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 it's just a beautiful thing. So that's uh that's that's what it's about. Thinking about other people. Here you have he's becoming a rabbi. What's the big deal? He's taking a job. It's being so so sensitive. That's what we got to do. It's not not really going above the above the law. The law is to be sensitive and whatever that means. And sometimes we're not in tune, but if we're in tune, then uh, we got to get ourselves more in tune. Two more short ideas. and We'll do a quick wrap up. We have the story where Dina, Yaakov's daughter, gets attacked by the prince of the city of Shechem. Seems like she got raped. And what ends up happening is two of the tribes, Levi and Shimon, Shimon and Levi, they go and they kill the whole city out. Fascinating story. Father is not happy. Yaakov calls them in, seems to give them a hard time, but never quite says they were wrong. 
And commentators focus on that. It's kind of being around the bush. He's not happy with them, but doesn't tell them they're wrong. Because they explain themselves, and he doesn't say they're wrong. I forgot who says it, but the explanation is the what the act that they did was the appropriate response. It was a horrible thing. It deserved a, a tremendous response. But they happened to get it right. The character traits that they exhibited during this activity were, 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 were wrong. They were unrefined character traits. Happened to be they got it right. And Yaakov said to them, and this is a, a, a eternal message for us, that, yeah, you got it right. You're right. I can't disagree with, with your outcome. But your output wasn't good. The way you went about it, that you exhibited, you was coming, your, your character traits were not refined the way they should be for people of your stature. And that is the lesson for us. That, yeah, a lot of times we can white-knuckle things and get things right. But, but the Torah demands much, much more than that. And our purpose on this world is much, much more than that than just getting things right. It's about actually changing who we are, who our essence is. And uh, you could have two people do the same exact thing, and they're not the same act. And their soul is definitely not um, reacting the same, depending on how, how they do it. Lastly... I'm not getting into the whole uh, interesting intellectual point here, but the point I want to focus on is that the Torah says that why was Dina, how, how was Dina in a position to be attacked and kidnapped? And the Torah says that she basically was, in, in, uh, to, for her, for her uh, level, her spiritual level, she was in a place that she really shouldn't have been at. And Rashi explains that uh, to some small degree, which we can't really even understand, but to some small degree, her mother did that as well at an, at an earlier point. And we say that she learned from her mother. And it was a very benign act. You never would have thought it was something she could, that, 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 that she, she would have gotten that message to be a little bit in, inappropriate. But the reason why the Torah shares that with us is that we all impact other people. You know, you know, all it takes when you have one person deciding to do something right, do something wrong, and you just need one other person to do it. And that gives you enough guts to do it. And vice versa. Sometimes you're thinking of doing something good. And you're like, ah, should I do it? You have one other person who's, who starts to do it, you go and do it. That's the nature. That's the uh, sociological uh, way of the world. Just a quick review. So we learn that in general... The Torah, the point of all these stories is to teach us how to deal in day-to-day -day life. We learned how Yaakov, we have the commandment forever not to eat from the thigh because Yaakov was left alone and we should never leave people alone and realize that we, we, can't, we can't be alone. We learned that if you benefit from something, person, place, or thing even, you gotta show gratitude. We learned how the Yetzirah, the the uh, the angel of Esav, you can't put a name on it. You always gotta be ready. Sometimes it looks righteous. Sometimes it doesn't look righteous. Our job is to be ready and up for the challenge. And challenges are what life is about. You can't run away from them, but we have to embrace them. We talked about the, how amazingly 
uh, precise the Torah is, how we learn from the fact that that Esav had his place and Yishmael didn't, how that had cosmic ramifications and how we always need to make sure we have our place and we give others their place. We talked about from Rabbi Ruderman that you can sometimes check off your lists and relationships with yourself, with God, with other people, but you can't miss the idea. Someone gives their wife roses every week and then is, is insensitive. Obviously, they did the checklist with the rose, but they missed the point. It's having a, a, a loving, intimate relationship. We talked about how it would have been worth it to have Rachel buried in, in a little bit of a not respectful enough way, even if it would have been one person. That's how important each person is. We said from Rabbi Siratskin that the challenge of dealing with other people uh, in, a, in an appropriate way is hard. We have to embrace that and recognize that. That's the way it's supposed to be, and it is hard. And number two, the, a, a way to do it that is, is by introducing and allowing spirituality to permeate that part of our life so we actually could uh, accomplish great things in that area. It is, it is possible to be a better person with dealing with other people. We said how it's important not just to be focused on the results, but how we get there. A person has to make sure they're always refined, even if what they're doing is the right thing, but to make sure they get there in the right way. And lastly, remember how what we do, we, um, we, we are impacted by others and we impact other people. So have a great Shabbos. And uh, thanks for coming on, and we'll see you next week.